0: If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. There are lots of Early Excellence Podcast episodes which will be perfect for inspiring you in the lead up to the new school year. So, have a listen to this episode where we have a tour of the wonderfully rich early years learning environment at the British School of Brussels. This week, we're joined on the podcast by Esther O'Connor. Now, Esther is the early years team leader at the British School of Brussels. Um, I first met Esther. Early on in my time at Early Excellence when I was invited to deliver training out at the school in Brussels, Um, Esther at that point had recently joined the school, having previously worked as an EYFS phase leader in the UK. Now, in this episode, Esther opens the doors to the inspirational unit at the British School of Brussels and gives us a full tour of the wonderfully creative child-centred environments, So here you go, I think you're gonna find this really interesting and really inspiring too. Um, We'll add photos of the fantastic provision to the podcast information so that you can see all of the different things that Esther is talking about and all of the things that Esther introduces as part of the tour. going to do Esther is going to give us a tour around um, the learning environments that you've got set up there and um, just before we do Esther could you give us a little bit of an idea just set the context for us tell us a little bit about where it is that you work.
1: Thanks Andy yeah so I'm really privileged to be the earliest lead the team leader here at the B- the British School of Brussels and we start from the age of one and our earliest is all the way up to um, age five so our one to threes is what we call our early childhood centre and our three to fours is kindergarten which would be maybe in England as a nursery setting and then the four to five is reception so it's it's fantastic from a transition point of view because we can ensure that the child's learning journey is is seamless between ourselves. So it's it's quite a a privilege to have children go through our early early years from the age of one up until reception.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And you, you operate in a fairly flexible way. Am I right in thinking that? That you yeah. in terms of the space you've got, you've got quite a large amount of space, but there's a sort of a flexibility in terms of how you use it for those different age ranges. Is that right?
1: As you know, Andy, having visited five years ago, which has zoomed Gosh, by. Five years? It is. Can you believe it? Gosh. Um, and I must put in there that Andy and Early Excellence were a real catalyst in enabling our thinking uh, to develop our idea of what continuous provision means and how that works and the principles behind that. So, our journey from, from the first year where Andy started his support with us was very much. We were looking at how to enable our spaces, our very large spaces, to become zones and areas that really provoke lots of thinking. So our philosophy very much is where where a child can select on their own, being very independent, uh, where resources are are very purposeful and have clear intentions. So we're extremely lucky that we have large, large spaces and I will be giving a tour very soon um, of our kindergarten, which is our, our nursery space. It has, we've been through this journey, we've been thinking about, for example, in our reception, we used to have very separate three physical classrooms and we did something brave and we knocked down walls and we went for it and it's now a unit. So reception is a unit, the early childhood centre is a unit and so is uh, the the kindergarten. So this means that the, the individual learner, the child can go and access large areas but I'll go on to how these are set up later on, maybe.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, thinking back to that, actually, I hadn't even realised it was five years ago that I came to you. What, what always sticks in my mind is that um, almost as soon as the training finished, I went off to train to do some training with your Key Stage 1 staff. And then in the afternoon, I think I finished the key stage one training and came back through the early years department. And I just remember all of your team were straight away getting really in the zone and were we having a really good clear out, a really good sort out, ready for developing these environments that we'd talked about. It was—it was almost like it was like a, a like a switch had been flicked, and they were yes. right on it. You know, straight away, straight into thinking. Right, I've seen what we can do. I've thought about the possibilities. Let's absolutely go for it. And as a team, you literally moved as one, which was you know just okay. absolutely fantastic. Which is, yes. I think. All credit to you as a team. There was that, that really shared idea of, completely shared idea, that this is what we're doing and we are all on board with it, which is so important, isn't it?
1: it, it absolutely. It was a real moment, like you say, of, hold on a minute, this, this huge space and these amazing spaces that we have, physical spaces they should be more child-centred. And it was that refocus of what message does this area give or what what messages are we giving? Is it more for the adults to store their things or could we use this cupboard and rip open the cupboard doors and create shelving for self-access? So I think it really, uh, that, that moment was a real movement for us in, in the sense of what's our pedagogical approach, what should that look like and how, what message do we give as we, we walk into this room? If I imagine myself as a three-year-old a four-year-old, how will I access that? Or, you know, is there a stumbling block where the adult has to get it out the cupboard and, you know, and also actually, uh during that time, we thought about the type of resources that we have, the validity behind them and our intention behind those. And that's where the lamination city was starting to get binned. (laughs) We had a huge amount of laminated all sorts. So that open-ended resourcing and uh, validity and choice and less is more in certain circumstances. For example, with our water resources, we had probably a huge amount of a certain capacity size. So we were reducing down, but thinking carefully about the possibilities of those types of resources.
0: Fantastic. Super. Yeah. And and yeah, it's great, actually, to sort of revisit you and to kind of see where you're at with this journey, because you've come such a long way since those days. And you're going to give us a tour around, aren't you? Which I know, I know sounds a bit odd, you know, when you think about it as a podcast, that actually people probably you know, won't be able to see it as such. But what we're going to aim to do is we're going to describe it as we go around so that you'll get the idea. People who are listening at home will be able to hopefully visualise the different spaces and get an idea of how you develop them. But also following on from um, recording the podcast, what we're going to do is you're going to send over photographs and we're going to make sure that we share photographs with people um, so that there'll be a link in the podcast information so people can have a look at the photographs as well alongside listening to it. OK, Absolutely. right. Yeah, Fantastic. So whereabouts are we starting then Esther? Where are we going to start?
1: Uh, we're going to start in our what we call the creative room. So this is kindergarten. We have just to give a quick outline, we have three large rooms and we class our large learning spaces. We class our outdoor learning space as, as a learning environment. So the first one that we have here is our uh, creative stu- our creative room. And in the creative room, uh, you will see that there is a large uh, design technology space. And what we what we really f- reflected on was how can we ensure that we, we maybe display our, our resources? How, how can a three-year-old come and get they, what they can see? Is it visible? Is it set out clearly? Um, you know, is it organised in a way that they they can just go in and use it themselves. So actually, as I look here, we have various things from staplers to different uh, maybe sized sellotapes, um, lots of different tools for them to join materials. So, you know, from crocodile clips to paper clips to, as I say, uh, staplers and hole punch and, and different things like that. And what's fantastic this end of the year is actually, as I look on the table now, we have so many projects and what we learned was how to link our DT space to our creative space. So the paint and the uh, other bits to enhance their projects is really, it's, uh, to be honest, I call it now our creative studio. So we've learned that putting the DT stuff with the junk and the joining materials and our paint and maybe expressive arts materials they're so linked together. I have a lovely example here, actually. And uh, we just had our assembly today, actually, Andy. And um, we did it in the way of, in kindergarten, we are experts. And the children actually chose their photo evidence to be displayed during the assembly. And this one one little girl, uh, uh, she chose, well, I'm an artist and, you know, a designer. And she really is. And there isn't a day that she now comes to kindergarten without bringing a box that she's started at home. And her parents are like, I think she's saying that this is a, I don't know where, a boat or or whatever she's designed. So she brought in the box and what's, what's wonderful is her teacher and practitioner to see is that she is going straight to that area. So she walks in, puts her coat away and she's straight there in the um, creative area, design area and painting away, cutting out, taping on and she doesn't need anything from me so we've realized that that you know those crucial moments in september of training and how to modeling how to use those tools really pays off And now that wonderful expressive art skills that we see in our curriculum is being fulfilled of, of you know joining designing uh, and creating some fabulous designs um, yes. And actually, another really interesting uh, uh, sort of fascination that the children have shown us, which I will have to quickly show you, is uh, tunneling, which I haven't come across this actually in 14 years of teaching. Uh, yes. Isn't that fantastic? And um, this child, I, I watched uh, another girl, actually, this child, and she was measuring different sized border paper so we we just enhanced it with just different strips rather than getting rid of them once you do a display and it's fascinating this child had cut up measured her wrist and stuck them almost symmetrically onto the paper and then drew ladders and said these are the ladders and they protect you the tunnels protect you as you go up so it sounded a bit like a story to me as she was describing it
0: yeah. yeah, it's like creating a small world, isn't it? So so what you can see, so for, for people who are at home and listening, um, we'll send you photographs of this, but basically what you can see are sheets of paper of different colours, different sizes, and what the children have done is they've cut into loops lots of smaller pieces of paper and then joined them at, at each side to make a kind of like a bridge or a tunnel over the, the or a, certainly a bridge over the, over the piece of paper. Yeah. So that you've you know, got lots um, of loops going on.
1: Yeah. And you know, you know, the fascinating thing about our, you know, early years world is how the children link learning and they almost contaminate each other with their ideas. So what what we notice, because, you know, we we like to sort of celebrate, wow, look at this, you know, this child's an artist, I wonder how how this happened and how you joined all these pieces and what these bits are, as you know, the children tune in and they listen, and before we know it, we've got tunnel projects in the building area, and so my earliest practitioner, she's on it, she's like, right, let's go, go to the library, they're finding tunnel books, non-fiction books, and printing off, you know, some maybe provocations such as tunnel images of real images. So it's almost this open-ended way of having the continuous provision like this and enhancing it uh, just provides a wonderful opportunity to you know, fulfil many many skills that are based on a a fascination or interest that can come up spontaneously. I could never plan for
0: that. I think there are a couple of things, though, that stand out from what you were saying. I think the first thing is that that stage that you mentioned about where you are, as a team, putting in the groundwork um, in terms of modelling and supporting and building those relationships with the children from an early point in the year or an early point with those children when they've just started... Meaning knowing that actually at that point, that will come to fruition at some point. That time that you are putting in, that's an investment that actually later on in the year, or maybe maybe another year's time, that that child actually will, will have benefited from all of that input, and they will become more independent, more confident, more secure. And that leads to children exploring in a deeper, in a deeper way over time and having that progression. And yet, actually, I, I think in terms of practice, that's something that we don't value enough. You know, that time that we spend with the children early on is often something that we rush through in practice, or well, we feel under pressure to rush through, to get to the, what we see as the kind of the teaching as such. When actually, I think time spent early on in the year is never wasters. Time, time really modelling and supporting means that your areas of provision are then used really effectively.
1: Absolutely. I would also add that there, Andy, one of the key things that we find really helps us in this way is that observation and how when we look carefully, we listen to how the children are using the spaces and actually maybe some barriers too. So what we ended up doing actually, we had two tables joined together and we realised that there was we weren't maximising maybe the space that we have in this zone. And we decided actually if we were to separate the tables they started to work almost opposite each other and the language came stronger and there there were more children that could access the space because it was a very popular zone so um that yeah that powerful thing of just moving simply two tables apart and just changing the way that they were, enable children maybe to talk a little bit more about what they were doing, organize themselves. So I, I, I think observation has big parts to play um, as well in terms of reflection. It's, it's helped us to sort of think, you know, this cohort are a different group to last year. So that, that sort of regular reflection um, uh, enables us, I, I think, to cater for these, uh, this, these children this year.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. And then the other thing I think was the, the depth of provision that you've got there. That you know, from the, the joining materials to the different sorts of paper and card and junk modeling materials and all kinds of different tools and all all of those sorts of things mean that when you have modeled for the children what you can do, what the possibilities are with these resources, they absolutely then run with it. And that it's a combination of the role of the adult and the role of the materials and resources and the breadth of what you're offering there that that comes together really
1: that's it in the value taking the time to value it so we you know the role of the adult i find if if you know on my planning if i think right i've got to do all of this now you know this adult focus which of course is that balance as we know with our curriculum pyramid um, but spotting those teachable moments so it's those powerful moments that to value that and I find that gives a message to the child that oh you know how I'm using these resources and the tools and what I produce is really valued and they're so eager to share it with you uh, rather than you go over there get busy while I you know make sure I get through all this this activity that I've You know, preciously planned. I found that having a very flexible approach to my role uh, as as the teacher in kindergarten has really enabled positive messages about what we value and also how to move those children on. Shall I take you to the next part now, Andy? Shall I show you? Absolutely. Yeah, I must say, we have got one thing that does bug me a little bit. We've got high shelving so with the paints on so we had to tell the children from day one you're allowed to stand on the chair and you can get the paints whenever you need <laughs> so because we couldn't find another bit of the wall to just change it so that's that's also something and you know in terms of actually display documentation I you know we we used a lot of our window space to sort of have for, uh, sort of photo evidence of the child in the moment um, with designs or like DT we have a few, if they let us you know, often they want to take things home um, but on the wall here uh, lots of their projects so they, they have almost little mini exhibitions everywhere which is quite a fun thing as well um, again in terms of valuing uh, one one thing I would say we've also spotted recently that's informed our, our planning is I don't know whether you can see up there we've got some images of they're just fascinated by lines at the moment, yeah, Um, and it's brought a lot of mathematical thinking through our, and and this was actually done in the other room, we have a large early exit easel, and um, we ended up then digging out all sorts of things from shells with different pattern lines, and building upon that line provocation, which, which Brought a lot of mathematical thinking as well, actually, with repeating patterns. So, Andy, I'll take you through now to our small world area. So, in the creative room, we have um, a small book, sort of cosy book corner with um, some small world resources, uh, for lots of language and role play with special certain texts that we that we would attack. and What we observed was that the children really wanted to extend their transient art uh, through small world storytelling. So we just set up a few empty trays um, and here are some projects actually just from today of some fantastic storytelling of a three-year-old. So yeah, so lots of different materials um, and carefully selecting, whether it's little gems or we've got these special stones. And then what I found fascinating, the girl said, oh, the fairies are going to see a rainbow. So having the mark-making resources which are directly here, right next to this open-ended sort of space, she drew her own rainbow to go on her project. You know, so so that linked sort of learning there with the the
0: writing and the, the language. I, I love that use of the trays. You know, that idea of, of of saying to the children, "We've got a selection of different trays here." So they're they're kind of like a um they're a selection of 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 smaller trays, aren't they? So not like a big like tough spot tray or anything like that. No. Much much smaller. Do you know where go on from the canteen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. um, so you've got so a selection of different trades but then saying to the children well this is your space you can you can bring story materials to it you can create your own story setting here i think that's yes. such an interesting idea you know of, of yes. children creating their own small space their own small story setting i think is a lovely yeah. idea
1: and um yeah it's the loose parts as well is something that i am um, such a fan of after reading the how not to cheat uh children uh, i think simon nicholson the uh the architect and we we decided actually andy so we have a very large we're very lucky we've got a large section with almost like a bench to it and we were thinking, what should we do? It, it looks a bit like it should be a book corner, but then we thought, oh, loose parts, perfect. We can display. So, there we have different baskets with frames, as you can see. So, many, many different frames, but with particular intentions. So, from rectangular shapes to circular to smaller, different sizes, deliberately, yes. um, with various loose parts, uh, from cogs to wooden circles, to tiles, shells, all sorts of different coloured gems, Um, even air rods that year four wants to get rid of, so I'll have those, Um, (laughs) to natural objects. Um, And actually, really interestingly, uh, a little boy brought in a book about dinosaurs and he was so excited. And he went straight to the Loose Parts area with his book. And he... I came up and asked what's this all about, oh it's a dinosaur and it's, it's got precious eggs and he created a beautiful little home for, yeah, for the dinosaurs to hide the eggs, the delicate eggs and again going, he went straight to the mark making area and got the paper and the tools and and designed his uh, loose parts uh, sort of representation on paper as well which, which was interesting.
0: What I like, though, is the way that you've talked about how those different spaces belong together and how actually the the writing links to the small world and the block play and the transient art in that flexibility and that opportunity for children to express story ideas and then go and use the mark making materials and add it to their story setting you know like the rainbow that you mentioned earlier on or with the dinosaur idea that that doesn't happen by accident that's because actually you planned it so that your writing and mark making is near to that space so children and then it's been modelled so that children know they can link those materials and resources together and that's that that level of detail I think is so important isn't it you know that thinking about that what goes into the classroom and what links with what is, is crucial really
1: that's it and I think you know as we know writing is something that later on sadly you know boys often are disengaged with writing, or there, there is the thing of boy—you know targeting boys' writing. And I, I strongly believe that from a young age, what message do we give about mark-making and how we represent our thinking? And if, if they use their designs as a way of communicating, that's becoming a writer uh, from a young age. So actually just behind me, Andy, as I'm showing you, we've got our small... Almost like our steam uh, work here so small construction kits um, from large connections to the mobile. that set out very much where there are photo clues as to how to tidy it and also categorized into different sections and actually here are some projects just from today so whiteboards i'm such a fan of because they can rub it out you know if, if there's a, a mistake Uh, so for example here um, it is a machine and it can clean everything and go really fast and it goes faster than every single car so that's the adult scribing the design that that they've created Um, and they love to exhibit their work so here we have the the unit here that's used where they can just put their projects on you know find their name card you know at the stage and also create their designs. I have to show you this one, this is fantastic. This is a trap, I don't know. there we go. You can see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And I'll try and zoom.
0: So, with a label uh, as well. So displaying the their own work. Um, yeah, yeah, lovely idea.
1: It's a trap where uh, there's a door and baddies can go inside and they get trapped forever. Uh, so just with the loose parts actually, Andy, the one thing that I also find that's absolutely powerful is mathematical thinking with loose parts yes. um, and recently Helen Williams has just published a fan- fabulous book, Playful Mathematics. Have you heard? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Heard? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah our, our claim to fame is that we were collaborating with Helen and we had a real privilege to trial some of the activities that Helen was using in her book. Uh, so Uh, and I just find that the reasoning section and Helen writes about this in her book how providing children with opportunities to talk about what they can see and and how do they know and that reasoning is very powerful for a young mathematician and I find when I watch sometimes what they do with the, the loose parts it tells me so much whether it's their understanding about size or... Repeating patterns, um, or the way they arrange groupings, uh, is is really fascinating to take a step back and listen and watch, and also question to provoke that reasoning.
0: Absolutely, I think it also helps children to see mathematics as something that is very much all around us, not just one time of the day, which is a directed teaching time around maths, and that's when maths happens. But actually, maths is. Is in all of the different spaces that you that you've been showing us you know all of the creative spaces and everywhere else but also very much in transient art you know those kind of those loose that loose parts kind of play you know there, there are often i often say to people that there's often more mathematical potential in a collection of loose parts materials than there are in most maths areas that when you yeah. think about you know the Compare bears and counting camels and all of those kind of you know random things that kind of link together. They're only ever they only ever come in like three or four colours and three yeah. or three sizes maybe. When really, you know, the loose parts, there's a range of different sizes and scales and and textures and colours and patterns and all kinds of different things that you can use to create as well as count. And for me, that's always going to be far more rich as a mathematical resource. Um, Certainly, I think maths areas with natural materials in are often far better for it.
1: Yes, like you say, maths is everywhere and I, I actually also find I'm just stepping into the Play-Doh area, just next to the small world actually as we talk, that like you say, maths is everywhere and deliberately we've got, because they love making cakes in Play-Doh spaces, uh, we had candles and we have lots of different candles with the number symbol on. Um, And we find also what really provokes mathematical thinking is thinking carefully about arrays and what you you provide. So, you know, the usual, everybody knows in the school, they give me their chocolates. Belgium has loads of chocolates, so they give me their chocolate cases. (laughs) So I get loads of chocolate cases and I go, right, what's the array on it? Oh, yeah, I haven't got a three or, you know, a row of three. Um, So deliberate selections of, uh, maybe, I don't know, the chocolate cases can provoke some mathematical thinking with Play-Doh, we find, um, as well and it's, it gives quite a rich opportunity to talk about how many they can see without it feeling forced, you know, but role playing with them in terms of where they take the direction um, and not losing sight of the malleable focus here, you know, the, the physical development as well. Um,
0: for those people at home, who obviously can't see it we're talking about the kind of the plastic molded plastic bits that you get when you buy um a box of chocolates that the chocolates sit inside that often are in a particular pattern or particular array aren't they so set out maybe three by four or or whatever it might be and it's that sort of thing um and of course also within a dough area things like you know bun cases or baking trays that have indentations set out in a particular way great for that as well you know those sorts of ideas yeah definitely but isn't it interesting a mathematically rich dough area is interesting you don't often i don't think people often think about mathematics within the dough area and yet actually there are loads of possibilities aren't there really i
1: had a wonderful example of a little boy that was rolling almost a, like a snake, I thought it was just a snake. He coiled it up and he cut it in half. He said, look, I can make a rainbow. And I was like, wow, that's really fascinating. He used the word half. He said, I cut it in half. So the language of half and recognizing as a whole, then a half. And he'd made four rainbows. And he got another one I said, oh, I can't remember how to make it. He was rolling it again. He said, now there will be six. And that told me so much about his mathematical understanding, his you know, mental addition there of adding the two more. Um, so yeah, and that was through a really spontaneous play you know, within the, the malleable space. I've got to show you this before it falls actually, Andy. So this is our light area now with the projector, Um, and we we realised that the children, although they absolutely love, they have a a range of different things to experiment, different things that will cast from, um, you know, all sorts of different things, from mirrors, to actually plastic things that you can find uh, in not Harry ice creams with numbers on because <laughs> we realise when you put it on the projector it's it shows the image of the number itself. So very different.
0: Yeah we we'll to describe this, sp- but let's just describe the space. Oh, so sorry. it's yeah. it's one it's kind of a is it a corner within the room?
1: It's it's almost like a yeah large white wall with yeah. quite a decent width to it. So yes, a corner
0: Yes, yeah, within a corner. And yeah. then you've you've kind of have you papered it? So you've put white paper up?
1: Yeah, we did. Initially, we put a fabric. It wasn't as effective. So it's just white card, um, yeah. and the image really does show really large uh, sort of image there. So I've got some photos yeah. actually on the wall of what the children have been fantastic.
0: Doing. And then you've got an overhead projector within the space.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so it's, a, it's, to...
0: it's a proper old-school overhead. Is it, is yes, it a proper yes, old-school yes. overhead projector?
1: That's from the secondary department here, so it was <laughs> from mm. the science, science. yeah. It's, it's been brilliant, you, a really useful resource, actually, for, from shadow play with deliberately non-fiction books, maybe about shadows, and they um, observe the different patterns too. What we recognised was they wanted to build here, with the very, you know, the very different perspex uh, coloured, see-through hollow blocks uh, with with the perspex, and that's that's been fantastic actually for just exploring, experimenting light and colour, uh, shape, form, um, and I would also say what they really enjoy doing is experimenting with colour mixing here with the perspex tools. Oh, so, yeah, um, one lovely observation that we made, and we quickly got some scarves and all sorts. We had a bit of music in here in our creative studio. So actually, the creative studio is just behind, there's like a section of the wall, and then it's just behind, so it's very linked still. And this little girl was creating her own dance in front of the projector, so we quickly got the scarfs out and it really lent itself to a lovely moment of dance and listening to music and the rhythm of expressive arts and design. And of course, the next day we were thinking about different music that we could put out and it was a wonderful moment uh, to observe her connection to listening to music and also shadow play.
0: Yeah, oh, it reminds me of, I don't know whether you've ever seen it, there's an, an EYFS clip from a long time ago now, probably early 2000s, that's called Erin the Dancer. I think it's called i'm pretty sure it's called erin the dancer it was filmed at oakwood oakwood primary school oh, okay. um oakwood primary academy and um it's it has a similar kind of idea where they've got a stage and also light projection and music and this little girl erin you know really absolutely absorbed in in moving to the music as well as having that kind of that light show going on around her and yeah really interesting yeah yeah well worth looking at
1: oakwood a, a very inspirational practice i love following them yeah. um so yeah so we're, we're now entering I think I've shown you most of that. we have a light box as well here with some mathematical open-ended resources that links very it's very close to the loose parts space so open-ended resources that can offer many possibilities so here I'm walking into the explorer's room we call it and actually just in front have a table where the parents and the children can bring in different texts or books okay so as we walk in yeah we have the mark making area so it doesn't mean that writing happens just here as you've seen lots of examples Uh, we had to be a bit careful with the space because it's so popular so they love it they absolutely love it um but we were observing and they that we actually had to take away some of the staplers and the other bits because it was becoming another dt zone um, yeah. so, uh, we just put a load of teacher pens, post-it notes, border paper we find works really well, uh, stickers. And we recently went to, we have a wonderful farm and we actually go to the farm to help and work at the farm as opposed to a visit, uh, a trip. It was a, a great outing and the children were mixing hay and all sorts of things. So we printed off some images of them, Working and enjoying themselves, and we just plonk them in the writing, you know, in the mark making area here. And that was also quite a powerful way, um, yes. to just yeah, they loved that finding themselves and quite a meaningful way. But I, what I love about the space, there's no sort of set you need to come and do, you know, it's very open, yeah. and so I find that the children. Just produce some fantastic things. They have different coloured paper on the shelving, and different whether it's different sizes. And we were noticing and observing they were creating maps. They have this sudden fascination for maps, so that's where I've just plonked a non-fiction book about maps, and uh, we actually put a metro map in there as well. So different stimulus based on what we've seen them doing. Um, But I could quickly show you, we have a, uh, a washing line with the children come up and they just plonk their work up here.
0: Yeah, love that. I love the way that you're getting your children to display their own work and really value it. You know, both in the, you know, when it was, when we were looking at the loose parts and the small world, you know, they'd created their own story setting and then made a label for it. And then here you've got children displaying their own writing and mark making, you know, there's that real value attached to it, isn't there? That's a real signal that actually what you're doing here is valued, that we're wanting you to display it
1: you yes. know, create an okay. exhibition of it. It's, it's quite powerful because then yeah. you, you think using that space, I think historically we put up maybe you know, all perfectly backed and bordered you know, work. And yes. actually when, at their level, they can they love using pegs on the washing line, you know. Yes. And they're really proud to show each other what they've been working on. And I'd say another, another um, aspect to that that we've talked as a team about is the voice of the child and how we document that. So it's not about marking the work, but it's just representing their ideas alongside their yes. wonderful marks. So one amazing example, we saw this amazing little girl that we have here and you're just like wow what is going on there so much imagination and I'll I'll read to you the scribing so the driver presses the button for the door to open and it's a machine that carries people everywhere wherever they want to go and this is the key lock and the door but you have to find the right lock so yeah so it's fabulous fantastic
0: imagination and language Mm. as well yeah yes wonderful
1: and it, it gives an opportunity, I think, for the adults to model the writing to, yes. to a bit like the helicopter stories idea where you can yes. sort of, oh, let me write your amazing story. Tell me again what to write. And they love watching that co-learning between the adults and the, yeah,
0: the yeah. themselves. So. I definitely. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that, that there is a real risk at the moment that there is a bit of a pendulum effect of going from lots of recording... Of loads of photographs, loads of recording, lots of note taking and Mm -hmm. learning journals to then doing the opposite because people feel, well, we don't have to do it now and doing none of that. When actually I think there is a happy middle ground that I think really you're in that middle ground where actually you're, you're, you're making sure that any recording that does take place, that there is a clear reason for it. And that, that, that we know how it's going to be used. So children's work yeah. is going to be more valued and shared more widely because actually we are making a note of what the child says. The child's voice is celebrated as part of your setting. And there's a middle ground there, really, where actually not all recording, not all adult recording is, is needs to go. It, it's more a case of I think we've got to own it. We've got to really make sure we know why we're doing it and make it part of the practice.
1: Absolutely. It's... It's using effectively your time that will make a difference to the child. I find as well we have project books, so they'll say, Oh, I want to put it in my project book. So they'll go find their project book and stick it in, you know, with an adult. Um, But, and it's that value, you know, of, wow, this is my learning journey and my story and my, you know, my wonderful ideas. And I I have found that the parents have almost understood the expectation as well and the, the level at which their children are so capable of. That it's not just a, oh, is it a train or, you know, wow, this is a machine and what can it do? And the, the language opportunity actually it brings to, to enrich language is, is a very natural way. Right, so now we're walking a little bit further into the explorers. And the explorers room is very much a sensory space. So what you'll see, you'll see uh, the water tray there with the olix and shelving just behind. Um, and then wet sand. Uh, with the with again uh, shelving and actually mirrors on the wall too, what what we learned very quickly is that you know, water and and sand have very similar properties. So we straight away thought oh, right, we've got to make sure that the sand is wet because it gives a very different sort of scientific inquiry. It lends itself to exploring in a different way. Um, so. We have to be really, We have to ensure, although we have a huge space here, that we're very
0: clear on our intentions for, for these spaces. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We ought to as well. We ought to as well say, or I should say, I haven't told Esther to say an early excellent shelf every time she mentions a <laughs> <the> shelf. <laughs>
1: it's because I feel so lucky that we've got them like we just we've had to wait a few years for this (laughs) you don't have
0: to plug our shelving every time it's fine
1: (laughs) I love them though because what I love about it and I'm not saying that honestly Auntie did not tell me to say this (laughs) but it makes the um sources very visible to the the child so for example with sand with We've tried to organise whether there's metal tools and wooden of different properties. So we have a whisk, we have a large spoon, we a scoop spoon, uh, you know, very different sort of uh, validity behind some of the resources. So we've we have to keep checking, and refreshing, and also thinking, oh no, we've we have we've been donating loads of kitchen roll tubes. Okay, do we need all of those? Uh, or what's the purpose? What's the intention behind it? Uh, we love watching our children in the space because they're very much selecting what, what they need. Uh, we find the water with lots of tubing and old bits of plumbing pipes can bring lots of, uh, you know, understanding of the world and thinking about how things work, critical thinking. But equally language, uh, with the sea life animals, the boats, the shells. So again, actually working here, we have many children from amazing all over the world. So language is really key for us in our setting. We have to ensure that our whole space, our whole provision is language rich. Um, and the water really does lend itself to that. Yes,
0: it's an experience that every child has some experience of, isn't it? It's, it's You know, it's something that every child has some experience of. You know, whether, you know, they might not have had a trip to the seaside or they might not have been to a, a lake or whatever it might be, but every child will have seen and used running water at some point and have something that they connect those experiences to. You know, that they, they make those links and connections and they can talk about different things. And it's it's also an experience that they, they that is quite soothing and... Um, Calming, I think, you know, that idea of playing within water is something that I think we don't think enough about how actually quite often children find that really relaxing. You know, that sort yes. of thing, you know, that, you know, for new starters who might be a bit stressed, then actually playing within a water area actually really does calm them down. It provides that, that sort of experience that I think is important.
1: That's an interesting observation that you say that the other space that I find provides that is our sort of sensory uh, tray, which is a large, tough tray here. Um, so whether that's think last week we had shaving foam and conditioner, you know, all sorts, just scooping and and they love big baking bags, you know, where you you cut a hole at the bottom of it, you know, squirting out, and I I absolutely observe it's the children that maybe the quieter ones, the ones that are settling in, and that it's the sensory experience that that's provided there. Um, As I said earlier, over there in the the mark making area, we realised that DT was a popular thing with our design and technology space. So We actually created another design technology area in this room too. And this is a bit more, yeah, and this is right next to the outdoor area door. What we found was, when they're in the woodwork area outside, They then want to enhance it so they just whip themselves in and they come and do a smaller project so the large projects outside and it's linking some or yeah here which which it's again the observation of um, you know we were observing that they were running in and you know across to the other room so we just okay let's use one table and one old cupboard here and we'll add so there's lots of half-finished projects that they will continue tomorrow so that idea of they can come in straight away and come and finish off, you know, or, or add to, amend what they need to do.
0: But That's all part of that idea of, of really when, you, when they're involved in doing something, when they're involved in a project, doing it to real depth. You know, not just kind of doing something, then that's it, but thinking, well, actually, I, can, I might bring this from this area to this area and add some detail onto it. And that yes. doesn't just happen, you know, like we said before, that's, that's about modelling, supporting, yes. it's about expectations and questioning. It's about, you know, that, that coming back to it and talking about it and really valuing it, really.
1: Definitely. And we are so privileged in early years to have that opportunity because yes. continuous provision is just powerful where the child can come in select what they need, and it's not a, oh, we finished this lesson now, this hour of, you know, science. And the reason why I say that, actually, Andy, is recently I've been working with the uh, older children, so scarily for me, which I've got just about used to, um, in my other role, which is innovation leader for primary. And we've been experimenting with playful ideas beyond early years. So we've been experimenting with the idea of uh, delivering a science lesson outside four-year six uh, through loose parts play, through all sorts of different experiences and we've been trialling this for two years. And recently on Friday we had a visit to Becky Colst- Colston and she is fab, playful, press play community. Uh, she, if anyone's interested, look it up. And she interviewed our year sixes about their understanding of play and their experience and what has come out strongly is that idea of student agency and time. So having freedom to choose your resources, to learn and actually make make mistakes. They found, oh, you know, the feedback from our year six students was, oh, we make more mistakes in this way. But it gives us, we have more time to work on it. And uh, also the idea of uh, self-selection with things that interest them. So it made me really feel, you know, wow, our earliest children have... Really got a fantastic opportunity to learn uh, in, in an environment where they can select choose amend uh, with careful facilitation from from the role of the adults yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: and that returning to things is so important for young children isn 't it you know that 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 from their point of view they they need to be able to put something down to display it at the end of a day. And then know that actually it will still be there tomorrow, and might come back to it and pick it up and carry on with it, and that you get a greater depth of thinking around that because you've had, you've given children the space and the opportunity to return to things, which doesn't always happen. You know, the way that we organise our spaces may mean that that can't happen, or the way that we organise our resources may mean that that can't happen. You know, in in settings that change around resources all of the time, or have lots and lots of enhancements that keep swapping and changing. It becomes less likely, I think, that children will be able to return to things that interest them because things change around them too much.
1: Yeah. And it's like you say, it's it's the careful enhancement, but the majority must be it's that continuity that they need. Um, So I've just entered now, just next to the water tray here, is our inquiry space. So we have many photographs of them in our forest sessions. So every Thursday, we're very lucky we get to learn outdoors uh, in the forest. So a proper forest session. And often what we've noticed is they want to bring things back from our forest. We have a beautiful forest, as Andy knows, right next to our school. So it doesn't matter the weather apart from the wind. We get out there, overalls on and we're out. Um, So it's linking and extending inquiries from those sessions we find uh, this space gives. So, for example, in here you'll find magnifying glasses all sorts of different shells, um, very mirrors, uh, some special stones, rocks, and I've noticed lately that they like to come and contribute from home too. Uh, so it's, it's quite a powerful space for lots of that understanding of the world and language again and inquiry, uh, finding things out and observing. Uh, and actually recently we did a, a planting project as well, so they they love being in charge and you know checking up on them. I found again, I've added paper and clipboards. And recently we had a child that brought lots of wheat in and lots of different, yeah, they just, and they actually said, I need to bring this to the, you know, the science area. I just love it. My heart melts when they say that. Um, actually, another thing I'm going show you in, in our outdoor session, well, free flow outside every day. They found this poor little beetle that's not alive anymore. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And they, they know that they can come here and put it in a special pot with a magnifying glass. And I think that's also extremely important that they have ownership. Of course, the yeah, role, yeah, the role of the adult in facilitating that. And they've it's lent lent itself to some beautiful observational sort of drawings. Um, and they were they were a bit sad for the
0: beetle. Aww. Yeah. yeah, well, I ought to explain. Yeah, so that was a, a a dead beetle that one of the children had found. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, they. So, and but I, I love that that kind of really giving value to some to to those simple collections of things that the children will value. You know, that they will remember that day when they found the dead beetle outside in a way that um, that tells a story, doesn't it? Right, so where are we heading to now then Esther?
1: So now Andy, we're going to head to the construction area um, and actually on reflection, as we spoke earlier, we're reflecting all the time, we realise that the children absolutely love this space. So originally it was a little bit smaller, but as you can see, it's a really large space, lots of floor space with the cupboard sort of creating that that corner, that cosy defined area. Um, and as you can see, we have a wide range of things that the children have been from the beginning of September you know trained how to use otherwise it would be a lot of mess everywhere and we use actually uh, I remember Ruth Swale saying choose it use it put it back so there is that idea of you know trial maybe you need this size block and then oh it doesn't work for your construction project put it back Um, and as you can see we uh, we use shadowing everywhere for our wooden blocks. And we found this such a powerful way to stimulate mathematical thinking, spatial reasoning, and uh, selecting purposefully as well with the the blocks.
0: So it means that when the children have have put, when they've they've had a block off the shelf, there's a template on the shelf so that they can put the blocks back and they have to match the shape to the shape or match the 3D shape to the 2D shape
1: exactly um or two triangular shapes that make a rectangular shape that kind of idea and it's fab for tidying up time as well so it also brings another learning opportunity in the in the tidying up um but most importantly i think it it, for us we've seen an impact in the way that the children are more purposeful because they can see the size or the shape and test it out in a in a maybe a higher level of of learning um so oh yes the one thing i would say as well that they absolutely love this year is a range of sort of stimulus to provoke measurements so you'll see there's a proper tape measure a spirit level and also string of different sizes and what's what I find fascinating from September they're sort of really interested in oh how does it work and then suddenly they start using it in a really purposeful way, whether it's using the string to see how long their building needs to be or or measurements. I've found that actually that, that aspect of measurement um, really is, is, is a powerful way in the, in, in the construction space. Um, and as you can see, adjacent to the construction area, we have a huge wall. So we're very lucky to have this floor to ceiling wall. And the children have put up by themselves their designs as you can see so
0: yeah I love your displays the, the way that your children display their own work I think is is incredible you know that real value for their work is brilliant you know the way that you celebrate it and they've got ownership of it I think that's fantastic
1: it's it's a really wonderful way for them to talk about what they've done as well it brings a lot of language into it language opportunity and and we've you know we've noticed uh one or two of them taking each other to to point at their photograph of you know the documentation of their designs um we have got uh, a few loose parts in here as you can see there's cogs different gems we're a fan of collecting um sort of reels from wool and my daughter loves sewing so she's a a great one to sort of grab lots of uh, different plastic, sort of reuse lots of uh, coils and reels, and and actually, um, as you can see, we have some tires, uh, and uh, they just really enjoy. But they're smaller because it's inside, and they enjoy extending or elaborating on their their construction. What, what i've recently enjoyed is the way that they're taking more risks in their their construction at this end of the year um and they will ask me esther i need a chair why do you need a chair because i can't reach so um and they'll get a chair and they're now building really high constructions and it's just fabulous to see that development of linear uh work to yeah. now yeah vertical um oh and actually andy can you see the building work here yeah and it's got the the not only the mini me's but we what we decided to do was ask for photos of families and we put them on the lolly sticks and uh they use these in their construction as well so it's because we noticed that a lot of them like to build related to their experience and so maybe home or of my family or we went to a place so we extended the idea of a photograph of their family and we've put them into the building work. And that's that's actually been such a wonderful, rich opportunity to talk about themselves
0: through construction. I love what you were saying as well about the 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 progression of ideas where the where what you see in September is is the starting point of them being interested in say measurement. And that actually over time, through your conversations, your discussions, and maybe the additions that you've that you've made to the environment that that has really taken off and you you then see real growing complexity in something that they were interested in and that you've supported that you've kept that going and worked around sort of of thinking carefully about how you enhance things meaningfully how you show them something new how you share something in a book or how you use new vocabulary it's that kind of adult role alongside the environment isn't it that i think is so crucial
1: it's a powerful way as well, as we always say in you know, earlier is it's it's that holistic learning. So um mm-hmm. remember earlier I was saying about the tunnels and the tunnelling fascination. So yeah. as you can see see here, we've got some uh tunnel non-fiction books and some sort of pictures of different tunnels around mm-hmm. the world. And that's provoked further sort of link learning from their mark making workshop area into um yeah, it's it's quite a powerful way to sort of use that stimulus in the construction space too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah and that's fantastic and and something that reception just thinking about the step up we've we've thought about continuity um and progression in our our foundation stage here at bsb so now in reception they've of course got the arrays and the shadowing as well and we've thought very carefully about oh what what mathematical opportunities can we extend further through the shadowing so they might have deliberate arrays with with three you know roads of three or um the new MECON might be placed sort of with the, alongside the arrangements. So we've certainly had many discussions, ongoing discussions about how we ensure the progression carries on. Um, and we're trialing uh, year one and year two to have continuous provision, which is very exciting, and elements of continuous provision in year three. Uh, so as part of my other role in school, which is innovation leader, so it's been interesting trialing further ideas of continuous provision.
0: Yeah. I was going to say that clearly the success that you've had here within your early years spaces within the school has obviously got pe- other people within school thinking. You know, you were talking about how you 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 got that role as innovation leader, and you're working with your the year sixes Um, I think it was was that right year six
1: yes yeah that's it all the way up actually throughout
0: and and that idea of working with older children but maybe in a different way you know that idea of challenging some perhaps your colleagues thinking in terms of the physical ways that young children can develop concepts and have ideas and problem solve and have those that, that language development as well but at a, at a different point in their development, you know, later on, which I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah, we we've really it's been a very interesting uh, time. But that's, I'm sure, another podcast there, Andy. Lots of detail, but extremely privileged to trial this as a as a a project, almost like a research project. Um, what what are the gaps? potentially for our older children does creativity get lost and we've been reading lots of different literature from bill lucas looking at creative assessments to um Julie Fisher interacting interfering and how potentially this could be applied all the way up and we found out that yes it can and we've had some really brave teachers across upper primary that have been so willing and inspirational in my opinion to take risks and explore take some brave leadership risks and explore this idea of maybe less of the teacher direction, adult direction, and more autonomy, more student agency. Um, So it's been, yeah, it's really empowered, I would say. Our children, our year sixes, have said how much they've enjoyed learning through play. And they've come out with some really interesting um, conclusions. In a recent interview with them, they said one thing that really stood out to me was I feel that when I'm learning in a playful way where I don't have to follow a set of instructions, I make more mistakes and it means I learn better. And then I have a longer time trying to solve it.
0: That's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I I think that's yeah, I think I think lots of schools at the moment are really thinking about what happens next for young children. You know, particularly from reception into year one, but then also for some schools thinking beyond that as well about uh, about the curriculum and about pedagogy and actually what does effective learning look like?
1: I think, you know, since COVID, we, we have to rise up to that that idea of this global debate, educational debate, you know, how to prepare our children. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place to be in where early years is the foundation and let's build upwards and let's see which, you know, what could work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Esther, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for taking us on a tour of your inspirational learning environments. They're fantastic. Uh, I'm sure people listening will find it really interesting, really useful. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's
1: been my pleasure, Andy. Thanks very much for inviting me.
0: So there you go. Thank you so much to Esther for joining us on the podcast and for giving us a tour of your inspirational learning environments. So many wonderfully creative and child-centered elements to the practice that have clearly been embedded over time. Uh, You know, it's been fantastic. I think as somebody who was there right at the very start of the journey to see how all of that has been developed and embedded as part of your practice, I think it's wonderful. Wonderful to see. Um, If you want to, to know more about Esther and her team's fantastic work. Esther is on Twitter and shares really inspirational things on Twitter. You'll find her on Twitter at Esther O'Connor 5. Um, she's definitely worth following and seeing all the work that she's doing there. Um, Thank you also to all of you people out there for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and found it useful, then please do get in touch. Get in touch if you've got any questions or anything you'd like to feed back to us. Also, feel free to like and subscribe as well and share away on social media as well. All right. So that's about it. That's about it for this week. Have a good week, everybody. When you can, get out there and enjoy the sunshine and we will see you next week.